It takes more than asking GPT to decide on syntax disagreements to be a great software engineer. This is episode 372 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show about all the non-technical stuff that goes into the technical field of software development. But technical advancements in the field have allowed us to just kind of absolve ourselves of, of figuring out disagreements. Just ask the Oracle. Delegate to the large language model. Yeah. Surely that will have no <laughs> no side effects. I wonder how many people will let ChatGPT do their taxes this year and get into some real trouble. There's probably some subset of those people that are still going to be better off than they would have been. <laughs> <laughs> they get it, it'll mess up less than they would have or something. They got lucky, but unlucky. Unluckily, luckily. Unluckily, lucky. Yeah. Am I saying that right? I think you are. All right. This episode is sponsored by OneSchema, the best way to build CSV import into your application. Jameson, would you like to say thank you to our patrons, our, pa I our Patreonicals? So much. Thank you to Nick Cantar, Braden Keynes, John Grant, Travis, Nick Hathaway, Oladapo Fadye, Ragnar, Jonathan King, WebTow, Awesome Antan, Testing, Will Angel, Monkey Face Emoji, Ira Chan, Patreon.com, we're hiring. Tuscarawas, Ohio, Craig Motlin, I Love Mavis, Alice Jost, Owen Shardle, Jenny Kim, Cody Sale, Ken C. Dodds, Noah Fraser Logue, The Re-Elect Jameson Dance Committee, Santa Hopar, The Re-Elect Jameson Dance Boogie Brigade, TheComputerScienceBook.com, and Trash Panda. Thank you. Thank you, one and all. We appreciate it. You support the show and keep it going. Keep our hearts going, too, somehow, I the guess. The hearts keep beating, thanks to the Patreon support. Yeah. There's kind of a lot on the line for me. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a pretty dystopian future if you're yes. I don't know you got a pacemaker that's hooked up to Twitter <laughs> you got to get enough likes or it stops yes it's the modern speed sequel if you want to join this group you can go to softskills.audio and click support us on patreon where any amount will get you invited to our slack community and any amount big enough will get you a shout out on the show that's right you want to read our first question, Dave? I do. This comes from an anonymous listener who says, I joined a startup at the peak of the tech bubble. And just a side note, when they said peak tech bubble, I thought for sure they were talking about the year 2000. But <laughs> I guess there's been another tech bubble. <laughs> this one inflated You're much a bubble more behind. <laughs> yeah, I'm one, I'm one bubble behind. Okay. Yeah. Joined a startup at the peak, which means that my equity was based on the company's valuation, which was very overvalued. Yes, I'm hearing numbers that are like 50% reduction when they mark these things to market. All right. To corroborate this, the company has not grown much in terms of users or revenue. The company also had a layoff just like many startups. As even public or unicorn tech companies are often devalued by 50 to 75%, which is true, I think it is reasonable to say that my equity grant is worth a lot less and I'm being underpaid. Most likely, I will leave the company anyway for some other reasons, but I was curious whether it would be reasonable to ask for, a sig for significantly more equity. From a pure financial point of view, if a company is valued 75% less, then asking for 2x does not seem too unreasonable to me. But I can see that it can be seen as too calculative, and the company may be unwilling to grant more equity to that extent. What do you think? Assuming that asking for more equity grants is not unreasonable, I'm also curious how you would bring it up to your manager without looking to be too greedy. Yes. Hmm. I love that. I love the question of how do I ask for more money without looking greedy? <laughs> I kind of want to just address that for a moment because I, I love, I also have felt this way for many years until I realized that my manager has the same conversations with their manager. <laughs> and and then I realized, wait a minute, they know exactly what I'm doing and they do it for the same reasons themselves. 
Yeah. So I, I would flush that idea from our minds. It's just, don't worry. <laughs> how dare you? Can you just imagine your manager like, how dare you be so greedy and then turn around and be like, listen, I need a raise. I'm having to yeah. deal with all these questions about getting raises. I need a raise. I think you're assuming that the manager is not capable of some cognitive dissonance, though. How so? Well, I think it's possible to go ask your boss for more money and still think someone is greedy if they ask you for more money. I see. Like you can just... Like you're already overpaid. But I'm, but I'm I'm special. I'm different. I'm me. Oh, I see what you're saying. Is that? And I deserve more yeah, money. Com- completely incapable of, of empathy. I hate it when others <laughs> ask for more money, but I want more money. Got it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm but, sure we're capable of that. I don't know. It's not a helpful way to think, though. It doesn't make it easier for you to go ask for more money. So your company is not... The, the equity value has certainly not increased as is sort of implicitly promised. I mean, you can't really predict or promise this stuff, but there's mm-hmm. there's this implicit contract is too strong of a word. I don't know. This implicit hope that you join the startup, you get some equity. That equity is not worth a ton right now, but as the startup grows, it becomes worth it. And then you cash out and it's more money overall than if you'd work somewhere else. I think that's generally not true <laughs> for, <laughs> for most people that work at startups. I think in general you probably make more money just working somewhere that pays you more just because the the chances of payoff and timelines and amount it pays off feels lower. Yeah, this is why venture venture capital funds invest in many companies, not just one. Yeah, but you can kind of only invest in one. Yeah, and that, that's actually kind of a frustrating inequity because you know your investors in this company, if you told them they could only choose one company to invest in, they'd be like, no way, forget that's a terrible idea. And then they're like, now let's talk about your stock option plan. <laughs> it's like the only <laughs> stock option plan here you could get. <laughs> yeah. This is why the key to getting wealthy is actually first get wealthy. Then you can invest in <laughs> lots of companies and make money. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, wealth by induction, I think. Yeah, exactly. There, There is a basis case that must be satisfied first. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Well, uh, should we talk about kind of hard numbers on this situation? Sure. I uh, I like to think that I pay close attention to this market, and I've certainly heard anecdotes of companies who have to face reality, which, by the way, mo- many, many startups don't have to face this reality for a little bit of time because they're sitting on a treasure chest, a war chest, if you will, of funds that they've raised in a previous fundraising round. Uh, and they, mm-hmm. don't, they don't have to confront the reality that their company is worth half of what it was two years ago. Yeah, it's it's only worth half if you try and raise money and That's right. raise it at that valuation. Try to raise money or try to sell it. And so these companies now that are facing the music are the ones that have to go raise money and they're they're meeting with investors and the investors are saying saying no way. There's no way your company is worth as much as you thought it was 2 years ago, so we are we're willing to invest in you at a valuation about half of what you um, were valued at two years ago, even though everything about your company might be better. Yeah. And that is only if you don't have the word AI in your company's name or website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you do have AI, then you're in good shape. You'll be fine. You can keep riding the the um, valuation bubble train. Anyway, the reason I bring that up is because it is, it's pretty common to hear companies being marked down 50 to 75%, like like the question asker mentioned. So that's completely reasonable and, and very a very real possibility for this company. Now the the part the bad news that I think now I'm not a, I'm not a CFO I mean I am the CFO of our podcast but I guess we, we haven't <laughs> we haven't raised any venture capital funds <laughs> but I'm not a CFO but boy the, are you going to be surprised when you check your email 
<laughs> I may have made some lofty promises. <laughs> you got some term sheets? Is what I'm hearing? Yeah. What what I have seen at three or four or five, I don't remember how many startups that I've participated in, is that it, it is typical to allocate a percentage of the shares of a company to be used for what's called the employee equity pool, which is which is a, a pool of shares that you set aside. They are not for, you know, the founders basically dilute themselves by that amount. The investors dilute themselves by that amount to make available for compensation to pay workers, usually in the form of stock options, which is what I'm assuming is going on here and not just straight up shares. Anyway, that percentage is fixed. And, and usually the absolute share count is also fixed between fundraising events. And so... When I when I think about this question, would it be appropriate for me to go or reasonable for me to go ask for 2x the number of shares? I think about what if everyone did that? And let's say that your 20% employee equity pool is fully tapped. So all those shares are allocated to a person or to, you know, all the employees. And you wanted to everyone wanted to go get double the amount of shares that they had before. That would raise the pool to 40%. And someone would have to give up those shares or dilute themselves by another 20 percentage points to get you those shares. Like they're not, you can't just fabricate shares. And so I'm, I'm going to say it would be very, very unlikely that a company would, would do that. The, the board would not approve that because they're probably investors. The founders would not want to do that. And instead, what they would turn around and say is, well, I know that our valuation is down. Looks like we all need to work really hard to get that valuation up. Why don't you go build a large language model? <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you go do some prompt engineering real quick? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I, I don't think I don't think you're gonna get it. I mean, they might approve it for onesie twosie, but when they start to see a trend, they'll be like, Whoa, cut this off. We just don't have that many shares to give. Yeah. And by the way, <laughs> by the way, the founders and the investors and, and anyone who holds equity has also experienced the same 50% loss of value. So now you're saying, hey, I know we all just lost half of our value together, but would you give me twice as many shares to make up for it? And, and by the way, they're going to come from your pocket. So <laughs> let's just do this, right? This will work. Sorry. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Yeah. No, yeah, that, that's a good point. The, I think part of what you're pointing out is that the, these are actually a, a scarce resource and you can do some maneuvering to like dilute and make more shares out of nothing, but, but you can't. Not out of nothing though, right? I mean, dilution well, means you <laughs> made them out of something. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you devalued everyone else's shares by a little bit. Yeah. You could maybe target who gets devalued. I don't know. Yeah. Again, I'm also, I'm also, I'm not a CFO. Well, yet I'm not even a CFO of this podcast. Yeah. So. <laughs> You are more qualified than I am. <laughs> I'm going to start amending my email signature. <laughs> I I just add had a great day yesterday and on my email signature. That's my qualifications. Okay. Just, just did a really good job yesterday. <laughs> Chief of having a great day yesterday. I think you're pointing out that these are a scarce resource and it's hard to comprehend that when, because the numbers are large and vague and you don't know how many shares are out there and you don't know what all the different liquidation preferences are. Oh, and yeah. There's all these, all these levers you can pull, Yeah. but it still is, it is a zero sum game. <laughs> yes. There, even if they aren't all allocated, you mentioned the options pool and, and maybe there's some left over. That means fewer options in the future to grant to new hires. 
So it can seem like monopoly money. Yeah. And sometimes it is until you ask <laughs> yeah. for more of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Suddenly it's real money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you mentioned one thing, Jameson, which is maybe the employee option pool is not fully tapped. And, and that may be true, but also bear in mind that when, like, let's say you wanted to go sell the company and let's say that only half of the 20% option pool that was allocated have been issued as shares to individuals. That's actually a good thing for people who hold shares now at the point when you're trying to sell the company because what it means is that their shares, that there's fewer people to pay dollars to. And so when people are looking at buying the company, they're, they're looking at who all needs to be paid out. And if there are just fewer people that own shares that need to be paid out, then that's actually a higher share price. In this case, call it 10% because you had about you know 10 percentage points of the 20% employee option pool that aren't paid out or that don't have owners. So that means that the rest of the company gets to, the rest of the shareholders get to take an equal portion of those remaining dollars and, and assign them out to shares. And that, that will absolutely be taken into account when, it com- when someone comes to buy your company. Hmm. So I, I think th- this is sort of getting to answering the second question they asked, which is how do you bring this up? Uh, this, this feels like asking a raise, asking for a raise. Mm-hmm. And the difference is it's not as immediate impactful on the cash it might sometimes be easier for a company to pay someone more money than to give them more equity though There's yeah like depending on the situation jump right? through unless approval and stuff yeah but if if the company is cash poor then maybe this is more palatable to them How, mm-hmm. however the equity is worth less is not a compelling argument to the company why they should give you more, more like, equity, like you were yeah. pointing out to earlier dave uh, everyone else's is too like why should they give you specifically more? So I, I think you need to, if you want to do this, you need to position it as something that will really help you commit and demonstrate your commitment over time. Like you could be asking for a raise in cash that gives you some immediate benefit. The future upside might be smaller than if the company does really well. So so I think the way you ask for this is not to say, hey, my equity is worth less. Can you like fix that? Yeah. You say, hey, I, I'm concerned about my my long-term compensation i also really want to stay here and and believe in this and i want to have our incentives aligned so that if the company does great because i stay here for a long time i make more money and and that's the appeal of equity is is you're kind of in, aligning those incentives yeah in fact um so you, it's, it's all the more incentive now for you to work really hard to make this company worth something and I think that that's what, if, you know, I wouldn't say this probably, I'm a little bit too soft and nice, but I mean, your manager could very well say, yeah, it's down. Let's get it up. Get back to work. Yeah. Like you can fix this. You can help fix this. Yeah. But the, you have to, you have to make a case to the company why they should do this beyond that you have been harmed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like the, why, why are they going to be better off? Are you a uh, uh, like essential part of the team and this will help mm-hmm. secure you for a long time? Mm-hmm. I mean, no, because it says you're likely going to leave the company <laughs> anyways. <laughs> so it's, it's well, probably not going to work. That, but. but that's a play you can make. You, or that's an angle you can take where you say, look, I'm, I'm looking for a retention incentive. And which, by the way, is not uncommon for companies to do after big layoffs. So, you know, they, they're very interested in keeping their staff where it is. It's not like they want to just keep firing people. They do need to operate a business. So you could yeah. you could make that case. And like Jameson said, when you ask someone for a raise, you have to think of it like you're going to the store and buying something. You wouldn't go to the store and just say, hey, I'm a frequent customer. You want to keep my business. Can I have this shopping cart for free? You would want to tell them, 
I'll give you something in exchange for it. Like I will pay, I will agree to buy 10 hamburgers a week for the next five weeks if you will give me a 20% discount on the hamburgers. Like the store might say, okay, yes. And raises are not super different from that. And when you approach it that way, I think you can get creative and find things that would actually be compelling for your company to offer. So you could say things like, look, I, you know, I, I do like Jameson said, number one thing you can say is all the performance, all the good things you've done to bring value to the company. That's the number one thing they're paying you for anyway. And then the other one is your commitment over time. And then we call that a a retention incentive. And so if you're willing to do a retention period where you say, I'll stay for an extra year without, I guess, without telling them you're planning to quit, or I don't know, maybe you would tell them you're planning to quit. I don't know, maybe play that card either way. But I I think a combo, but but, sorry, better said, I think it's really important to make it clear to the company the value they're getting in exchange for the dollars that they're providing you. The the marginal extra dollars they're providing you is how you get more money. What you could say is I've been working at half my potential this whole time (laughs) and I'm willing to work at 100% of my potential if you give me this huge equity grant. You know how I only code with my left hand? Well... (laughs) I am not left-handed. That's what I was just thinking of. It'd be like the Princess Bride. I actually do know Colmac. I don't know what the equivalent would be. Or maybe it'd be you were using the Colmac layout and then you switched to <laughs> QWERTY. But I'm I actually do know how to touch Dvorak. Type. Yeah. Uh, well, I think we've answered it. All right. Good luck. Jameson, have I told you my one rule? There's a lot of one rules. Maybe, hit, hit me with this one rule. Okay, my one rule is never build your own CSV importer. My one rule is to never say never. Well, building a CSV importer always seems like it would be so simple. It's just commas, new lines. How hard could it be? Well, no. Have you heard of byte order marks, escaping, header mappings? Oh, you need Excel format too? Oh, and your users have comma-separated values inside their comma-separated values? <laughs> I've actually tried to do this at a previous company we tried to build our own csv import and it was almost done for like six months yeah (laughs) because to get it working in just the initial setup is pretty swift yeah and then there's so much extra that goes into it to really polish it to give error handling and user feedback and handling all the unexpected stuff that isn't like the test data that you feed into it before you call it done. Well, I have good news for you. There's a new product that I wish had existed for the last 20 years to save me from myself. It's called One Schema. One Schema provides an API that takes care of the pain of building CSV imports. It gives you automatic field mapping, data validation, and much more. Get world-class CSV import into your product without reinventing the comma-separated wheel. Go to <laughs> oneschema.co slash soft skills. That's O-N-E schema dot co slash soft skills should i read our next question yes go for it (laughs) this is from a listener named said we could use their name but left the name field blank (laughs) (laughs) i've been a software engineer that feels like a bobby tables type of yes (laughs) anyways i've been a software engineer at a large finance firm for around two years out of school my team works in a hybrid model but most of my meetings most of my meetings are still remote At least once every couple weeks when I try to ask a question or otherwise participate on a group call, or more rarely when I'm responding to a question about my own topic, I get interrupted and completely cut off by more senior people on the call, such as my manager, the product owner, or the architect. The other developers and technical people rarely interrupt each other. Some other details. I try to wait for pauses before speaking and have tried reiterating after the new topic changes again, but it's often just too late. 
I also tried ignoring the interruption and continuing to speak, but I really don't enjoy having to do this in order to be heard, and it feels disrespectful. I've noticed this also happens to other more junior members of the team, most of whom are much more reserved in meetings than I am. Another thing to mention is it's not really a problem for me during in-person meetings. Hmm. Am I being a special snowflake to find this annoying and humiliating, or is it just par for the course of being a more junior member of the team? Oh, okay. Zoom interruptions only and not in person. That's interesting. Yeah. You are being a special snowflake because you are a special snowflake. (laughs) That's a good thing. You are unique. Uniquely valuable. Yeah. Your uniqueness is what makes you valuable. And you melt at the slightest. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) You know, when when I read the part that said it only happens over Zoom and not in person, I instantly thought of those quantitative trading firms that try to position their servers closer to the exchanges so that they can beat <laughs> they can beat the trades on pricing uh, because of network latency. Yeah. And maybe that's what needs to happen here. You need to move closer to wherever Zoom hosts their servers. Mm. I mean, the, the ideal state is you actually live inside with one of their server rooms. <laughs> you, you got a monitor hooked up to one of their servers. <laughs> yeah. Localhost is my Zoom server. <laughs> be kind of wild if remote kind of spreading out all ended up actually, and now you have to all be back together. But In the Zoom data center. <laughs> yeah. You're all in different rooms in the Zoom data center. Oh, You're my goodness. trying to optimize for that hop to Zoom latency. Yes. <laughs> You're more vocal than other junior members of the team. You speak every couple of weeks, though. <laughs> In group meetings. <laughs> oh, man. Once every couple of weeks. Well, no, I think what the Sasker is saying is I, I get, interrupted get interrupted every couple of weeks. Couple yeah, weeks. I, I probably tries to speak more frequently and, and maybe successfully uh, does. That would make more sense. <laughs> I'm just imagining once every few weeks you... I feel like you could be very mysterious and adopt a, like a guru air if you yeah. just uttered softly... <laughs> <laughs> spoken bits of wisdom every couple weeks and rarely yeah every, every two weeks oh oh he's speaking shh listen <laughs> what wisdom shall we hear today i don't like ternary operators <laughs> he has spoken conditional logic demonstrates a lack of commitment <laughs> These like Zen. I, think I saw that in a tweet one time. All of my all of my code should execute all the time. Yeah, why? <laughs> it makes your branch coverage much better if you don't have branches. Yeah. Oh, uh, I think I get interrupted more over Zoom than outside of Zoom, and I get interrupted more over Zoom in a hybrid environment. Hmm. As opposed to pure remote. Yeah. This is not exhaustively peer-reviewed and researched okay. but i've worked fully remote for several years and bookended before then was hybrid then fully remote and now i'm hybrid again mm-hmm. and i felt like when fully remote meaning everyone on the team was remote there was no office no in-person stuff and i feel like this current gig folks interrupt more i don't know i have a sample size of not that large is four N enough? Yes. Is that enough yeah. N? Yeah, N equals four is the academic <laughs> standard, I believe. Okay. <laughs> That's enough cool. N. Then it's significant. You know, I, I don't know if 
I don't know if I can, if I've seen a difference between remote and hi- pure remote and hybrid, but I do worry that I am an interrupter. <sighs> yeah, you need like a gong. <laughs> Wouldn't that be rad? <laughs> well, I've you often got, you're you're someone whoop. clap <laughs> clap the gong. I just did it. <laughs> <laughs> Bong. Jameson wants to speak. Actually, I I believe that it would be better if we had a what's the word I'm looking for a uh, an etiquette protocol for for when you want to speak in a zoom call because the problem with speaking in zoom is that sometimes you speak and sometimes zoom chooses to not allow your speech to come through because someone else is already speaking and they the application seems to really aggressively guard multiple audio sources at the same time i don't know if you've ever noticed that i have noticed that yeah and so sometimes you're actually you've been censored (laughs) it's not so much that you've (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, been interrupted it's that zoom literally did not allow your speech to come through so wouldn't it be great if there was a button you could press that just indicates i have something to say that's on a separate channel that can't be squelched by the by just whoever happens to be speaking i can't tell if you're joking or not no I, i'm serious are you aware that zoom has such a button well the raise your hand button right yeah yeah i for some reason it doesn't work and i don't mean to say the hand icon <laughs> doesn't appear when you click it i just i just mean to say that that pattern has not caught on for people it actually i worked somewhere that did a a really good job of following that pattern oh and it was really nice yeah i I would think it would be great it kind of caught on in the culture and so it became self-reinforcing because everybody saw it enough that everybody did it and knew it and you if you were speaking you would know i don't know after a couple minutes you sort of check to see or someone would also someone would just interrupt and say hey so and so has their hand raised and that was the least interrupt i don't know what the word is interruptive <laughs> it had <laughs> the lowest interruption rate seen. yeah i think so or the interruptions were you kind of like yield your spot instead of get pushed out by somebody else yeah i really do think that's great and i I will have to talk offline about how you did that. Or maybe we should talk online. Maybe this is actually the answer to the question is we need to establish patterns. This this question asker needs to establish a pattern of how to hand the conch from person to person when speaking. I don't think I did it. I think it was like that before I got there. You just followed the pattern. Although it would be more of like a manager thing if I said, actually, I did it. And but in reality, it was like that before I got there. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think it. I think it was a part of the culture already. I should talk to some folks there and see. Well, I think it. I think that's a great idea, and I've I've wanted that. I've noticed that the buttons exist to facilitate that, but I just haven't ever seen a culture that adopts it. It also orders things properly if you do it too. So oh, if you raise great. your hand and then someone else raises their hand afterwards, it'll it'll shuffle stuff in the participants' order to put the people who have their hands raised first and and do it in order that they raise them. And it's pretty good. I still think there's a little missing from the Zoom feature here because I've seen meetings. I remember at my last company, we had Google Hangouts, which has a similar feature. And you could raise your hand. I don't think it kept them in order like Zoom did, which is obviously better to keep them in order. But they did that occasionally. and But it was more common that people would just leave their hand up and then 10 minutes later, someone is like, um, did you have a comment? It's like, oh, nope, sorry. just forgot to lower my hand. And that was really, really obnoxious because it just basically, it destroyed the system because now you don't know who actually wants to speak and who's just left their, their hand up, just like the, someone driving down the road with their blinker on. Yeah. And, and it's also, there's definitely a critical mass you need of influential people in the company. If enough Mm -hmm. influential people don't do it, then it, it actually 
yeah means that you you lose out on your ability to speak in meetings if you're trying to do it so. exactly if if a bunch of leaders decide that they're above the raise your hand law then it's over yeah well i think we took this hard problem and turned it into a different hard problem which is as a junior member of the engineering team <laughs> get your whole team to adopt this new protocol for communicating yeah what could possibly go wrong yeah let's answer the last question am i being a special snowflake to find this annoying and humiliating nope not at all. No. Yeah. Now, I, I will say this, and this I, I'm going to say this cautiously because it could come across as arrogant, maybe a little superiority complex coming through. So let me just, just pre-forgive me, okay, for what I'm about to say. But No matter what, I do. Okay, good. Oh, oh. Take advantage of this moment. <laughs> Are you going to change what you're about to say? <laughs> oh, this is going to get way worse then. Yeah. Hang on. <laughs> Carte blanche? Pre-forgiveness? <laughs> I have been in meetings where, you know, let's say it's a big meeting, 10 people. And I'm just thinking about the cost of this meeting and how every word needs to be high value or else this thing is a waste of of money. And once in a while, you get someone who has low levels of experience, which in this case doesn't mean that they are unskilled or bad or no judgment value, but they are just missing a ton of information. A lot of context is not there. But yeah. but they're super vocal. And now when that happens, other people have to spend their time kind of politely shutting that conversation thread down because it'll be like, hey, we're talking about something like high level and strategic and you want to talk about the finer details of some low level thing that's just not even relevant for this audience. And so we have to shut that down. It's just not appropriate for the meeting. We've got real problems to solve here. And that what you what that person brings up might be a real problem, but it's not the real problem for this audience to focus on. And so that there is a possibility that that is what is happening here is that you have chosen to raise topics that are either out of scope or too low of strategic importance for the audience that you're communicating with. Now, I don't necessarily think that's happening here, and I haven't seen any evidence that it is, but it's a possibility to keep in mind. And maybe that's why you're getting interrupted. So just had to throw that out mm. there. All right. Am I forgiven? Yes. Oh, Still. You, you got one left. You didn't even use up your pre-forgiveness. So oh. it's fine. Oh. I'll keep that one in my back pocket. Yeah, just do. If I ever get just appalled at something you say, then remind me of this moment. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely possible. And I have, I don't know if I am aware of being the person making those kind of comments. I'm sure I have made them, but I definitely recall seeing them and kind of cringing at like, oh, you just, you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> so it, it can happen. Yeah. I've talked about this before. One thing that I have seen is there are some people who seem to work really well thinking out loud in meetings mm-hmm. and they, they, kind of process stuff quickly when people are speaking and they can in- put something together and express it clearly, verbally, quickly. And and I remember, especially there's one person I worked with who it felt like every meeting I was in with them, the meeting turned into someone described the problem and then this person just say says what the answer is. Okay. Because they seem to be able to come up with the answer on the fly to everything. All right. And I did feel like I got interrupted a bunch, but I also felt like I was 
Like I, I needed to slow down and think more. I, I couldn't keep up and counter interrupt because I was, I was like trying to catch up and yeah. process stuff and work through things. Yeah, I, I call that the speech processing velocity mismatch problem. I coined, Whoa, I coined a very that phrase. <laughs> fancy. <laughs> I you just make that up. Yeah, I'm going to create the Wikipedia page tonight. But okay, I have noticed that there are people in this world who speak quickly, and or and speak slowly different people. And then there are people that can listen to fast speech and there are people who can't. And there are some real adversarial combinations <laughs> in, in, that, in this world where you have slow speech processors and yeah. high speed speech givers. And boy, does that create a bunch of problems, <laughs> usually for the speech receiver who just feels totally frustrated and, and like they're getting run around circles. They also, by the way, tend to feel interrupted a lot. The people that speak a lot? No, the people who listen, who have a slower... Uh, what's the right word? A lower speech receiver velocity. You know, it's like it's like when you're tuning your radio to different frequencies and it's like, well, I only do lower frequencies and someone can speak at high frequencies. I don't mean the pitch of the sound. I mean the, 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 the speed with which like words per minute that are coming out of the mouth. Yeah. Like I talked to someone who was in a, that exact situation and he told me he was working with someone who for a number of years was a very high speed talker and he's more of a low speed receiver and in fact um he like he prefers to listen and then go offline and think about it for a while maybe overnight even and then come back after yeah. having processed and then have an intelligent response and boy that was a frustrating experience for him to be on the other end of that so that may be what's happening here too i just reread the question and the question asker specifically mentions this happens when they're trying to ask a question themselves oh that's rough and yeah that is rough cuz that means you aren't getting the answers you need. Yeah. The fact that it also seems to be more targeted towards more junior members of the team. I wonder if there's some some kind of implicit bias going on here where could be you the the I don't know. The interrupters just kind of feel in their bones that they can interrupt people of lower status, maybe not deliberately. Yeah, maybe they wouldn't even say it out loud, right? They just it just happens. Yeah, or, or even notice yeah. that they're doing it. It's possible. I think you could talk to your manager about this. We haven't used this standard <laughs> answer for this question yet. But if your manager is doing it themselves and also in the meetings where it's happening, I think you have two yeah. avenues <laughs> to approach it with. You can you can ask them for advice on how to help with this. And, and that is one thing I've seen be effective, actually, is if someone more experienced, more respected i don't know i don't mean to sound like you are disrespected but yeah i'll use that term i guess make space for people that that can counteract this interruption i've seen that work yeah. effectively another uh, um, probably my last idea on this is that if you find yourself getting interrupted a lot um, one thing you can do is use the chat feature of these meeting applications like zoom where you can just put it out there and sometimes people will see it sometimes they won't but if they see it, they can pause at an appropriate time to answer. And if they don't see it, at least there's a record of you having asked the question so you can get follow-up later. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned follow-up later. That that can be a good option too. It's it's not solving the problem of you getting interrupted, but asking in Slack or, or some other venue if you can't get your question out, at least helps you get the answer. All right. Hmm. Well, speaking of answers, have we answered the question? I think so. Good luck. It's no fun to be interrupted. But, uh, you know, we basically spent this whole last episode talking without letting this person talk. So maybe we're just as bad.
<laughs> it's no fun to be interrupted, but boy, is it so fun to interrupt. And somebody has to be interrupted. Sorry, it has to be you this time. For people to interrupt. That's If I play video games online and just get stomped by people, I like to think, you know, someone has to lose, and I'm helping those people have a good, satisfying experience. I feel very zen about it. So maybe, maybe that helps here, too. <laughs> All right. We'll end with the least helpful advice. Okay, Perfect. <laughs> what should people do if they want their own questions answered, Dave? Go to softskills.audio and click the Ask a Question button. Thank you so much to those of you who have written in with questions. And thank you so much to people who also have written in follow-ups to tell us how we did. In fact, we had someone write in this week to give us a follow-up from over 200 episodes ago. <laughs> that was really good to read. Woo. Actually, I, I need to finish reading that one. Thank you so much for writing in with all of those. We really appreciate it. It keeps the show going. Thank you, thank you. We will catch you next week. Thank you.